Okay, go ye kids. And uh, we are working our way through the Gospels. And uh, I will tell you, as we go through here, I've been just following a, a book that was written the turn of the last century. And uh, uh, this is what we basically use base our Sunday school lessons and things on. But um, uh, he, he's jumping around quite a bit in this little passage here. And so trying to just follow along, but we may make some changes here. But first, let's go to John chapter 5. We, last Sunday night, we finished the first year of Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, starting from the first Passover where he cleansed the temple, talked to Nicodemus, and uh, now we are coming on the second Passover, and that is the story here in John chapter 5. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is a Jerusalem by the sheep market, excuse me, a pool, which is in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. And this story is only recorded here in the Gospel of John as Jesus finds the impotent man there. And we have the story of the angel coming down, troubling the water at a certain time of the year. And whoever got into the water first was healed and you know what? God doesn't give us any explanation of this phenomenon. And so, you, you know what we do with that? We just leave it alone. Amen? Uh, God is capable of doing things. I had a discussion with a fellow this week about healing. And, you know, um, I said, we believe God heals. We believe God still heals. But he doesn't need Benny Hinn helping him out. Uh, I, I believe in faith healing. I don't believe in faith healers. Uh, the emphasis being taken off of God and put on to an individual. It's, it's funny how uh, all these guys that do this, uh, it seems that there are two things that are absolutely necessary for faith healing today. One is a TV camera, and the second is a big offering plate. Uh, that, that just does not follow the biblical pattern whatsoever. And uh, yes, there were many, many miracles in, in recorded in the Scripture. But if you'll remember, what did Jesus say constantly to the Pharisees, to those that were his greatest enemies? He said, if you don't believe me, would you at least believe the works that I do. Jesus was without question the very God of gods. Nobody could do what Jesus did. No one ever has done what Jesus has. And yet we have these people getting on the radio saying, I did more miracles than Jesus did, greater things than these. That was talking about me. I mean, I just, wow, I cannot fathom that somebody would make those claims about themselves. And so, we, we have this story about him being made whole. 
And in verse 9, and immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed, and on the same day was the Sabbath. And uh, in, in our uh, history here, as we follow through, um, Jesus is in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, but when he goes back into Galilee, there's going to be two more Sabbath issues uh, that come right on the heels of this. And it's, it's just kind of like what Jesus is doing here is saying, okay, guys, uh, what we're going to do right now is I am going to attack your false understanding of the Sabbath. See, the, the Jewish people had tried to make the Sabbath into a day of worship. And uh, the reason they did that was because they controlled the synagogues. So now this was part of the week. One entire day of the week was under their control. And they they loved that part. Uh, so uh, we, we come down through here and find them in verse 16. And therefore did the Jews, capital J-E-W-S, that's not talking about all Jewish people, of course, uh, that is talking about the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees. They sought to kill him. They sought the more to kill him. In verse uh, 18, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, something that we really want to emphasize in our Bible is Jesus did claim to be God. You cannot honestly read your New Testament. And every time I read that passage, it just rings in my ears. Uh, years ago, this group of preachers came together and they were going to sort out all of the false teachings in the gospel accounts. And, uh, of course, when Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the disciples put that in there. Jesus would never make that claim to himself. The guy stood there on national television and said, there's nowhere in the Bible Jesus claims to be God. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees would argue with that. How many times do we have recorded in the Gospel of John alone that they picked up stones to stone him because... He was claiming to be God. And so, uh, let's uh, uh, take the Bible and allow these men to be uh, labeled the liars that they are. And uh, we, we come down here uh, to... Uh, Verse 21, for as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. And you read through here, and these words, look it down to verse 39. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. And uh, 
And I, I wish we just had time to spend our whole evening here on John chapter 5. We're just moving through this. Uh, but Jesus was in Jerusalem here, the feast uh, of the Passover. He heals a man who has been laying there for decades trying to be healed. And Jesus heals him. It's a Sabbath day. Now, let me just ask a question. They claim Jesus broke the Sabbath. Did Jesus break the Sabbath? Absolutely not. If he had, he would have sinned. Jesus did not change the rules. What he did was challenge their traditions. The Sabbath day was created not as a day of worship, but as a day of rest. The regulations that God had put on the Sabbath day were, were there, but if God made provision, if you had an animal fall into a pit, you did not have to wait until the Sabbath was passed to pull the animal out because the animal might die in there. And uh, there were many other provisions you were allowed to Take your animals to water. You didn't punish the animals because it was the Sabbath day. God is not, contrary to uh, PETA and all the people who love claim they love animals, really, uh, it's amazing. Uh, we don't have time tonight, but the, uh, the ones that love the animals love to murder the babies, too. I just don't get it. There's a connection there, and what it just tells me is there's something desperately wrong in the heart of these people. Every time we hand out those tracts that say, uh, how can a man be born when he is old? Uh, I have some woman taking it looking like, and she goes, ah! you know, and she thinks it's an anti-abortion track. And because it's got a picture of a baby on there. And it's coming from a church. We don't even mention abortion in that track. What we're talking about is getting life. And, uh, and it is absolutely amazing. So let's uh, go to Matthew chapter 12 here. As we're moving through, Jesus heals a man in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And in chapter 12 in verse 1, at that time Jesus went... On the Sabbath day through the corn and his disciples were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. And Jesus contradicts them there. And uh, we come down here to verse 9. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you? Sorry, the light is really crazy here for right now. What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days, 
Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored like as the other. And the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. Now, do you get that? It's the Sabbath day. They tease Jesus. They tried to tempt him. They said, is it lawful to heal? They had already made up their mind it was not. Jesus just explained to them. But it was okay to go plan to murder someone on the Sabbath day, right? Which is exactly what they did. And as we follow the testimony of Jesus Christ through the Gospels, what we are going to find is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the scribes. These were the people who were in charge of the Jewish religion at that time. Could you imagine going to synagogue if you wanted to worship God, if uh, and it wasn't a feast in Jerusalem. Where you went was the synagogue. It was the center of your town. And having these people in charge uh, of your worship to God. Aren't, aren't you, you, you ought to be so thankful for the local church. A place that we can assemble together. A place that we as a church are responsible for the teaching. And a place where we can study the Bible on our own. So as we go through here now, Jesus has finished one year of ministry. He has been to Jerusalem for the second Passover. He is back in Galilee. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 15. It says, but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence. Great multitudes followed them and he healed them all. And charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed... Shall he not break a smoking flax? Shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory? And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. And so Jesus goes on and teaching here in chapter 12. And uh, we got uh, Mark chapter 3. Let's just take a moment and go there. In verse 13, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came to him and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter and James, the son of Zebedee and John, the brother of James, he surnamed them Baongernes, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into a house. 
And so, we have the formal calling now of the twelve apostles. These are the ones uh, that would follow Jesus. And of course, Judas is always last on the list. Because he was the traitor. He was the one that uh, God did not make him do that. Judas volunteered for the job. But someone had to fulfill the scripture, and it was Judas's uh, uh, duty to do that. We now go to Luke chapter 6, and we have the Sermon on the Plain, which is very much like the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, uh, some people have tried to uh, take this here. Uh, And make this and the Sermon on the Mount, which was uh, weeks before here, before the first Passover, and they try to make it the same thing. Now, if you've been around Open Door very long, um, you've heard me repeat myself. You know why? Because I'm just one person. I've preached many sermons over the years. uh, And... By the way, did you get it the first time? Sometimes it doesn't uh, hurt to get reminded, to hear it two or three or four times. And what is wrong with Jesus repeating himself? Uh, and, And that's simply what we have here in this Sermon on the Plains. And uh, we... Have uh, not all of the same points. This fits just right here in uh, a passage. But he does end the sermon here with the same wise man and foolish man. Verses um, uh, uh, 46 through 49. And and he asks the question, verse 46. And why call ye, ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And uh, we get to chapter 1 of verse 7. Jesus is continually doing miracles this entire time. It says, Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum and a certain centurion's servant. Now what makes this miracle of Jesus worth, uh, not worth, but uh, gives it a special mention is we now have Jesus performing a miracle on a Jewish man who was a servant to the Roman centurion, to an officer in the army of Rome. And Jesus took this miracle to put on display what's only referred to twice in the Bible as great faith. How many times did Jesus look at the disciples and say, Oh, faithless generation. But here, he commands the man for great faith. It's amazing that the only two times Jesus uses great faith in his earthly ministry are referring to non-Jewish people. They had greater faith, not because they were Gentiles, But they had greater faith because they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he singles them out and makes, uh, this is the first one. And uh, we come down here, verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about. 
unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Aren't you glad that Jesus works by faith? And really, we could go through the Gospels, and there's many different ways we could arrange the Gospel stories and the information that is found here. We, sometime, in, if you would like, for your own personal enrichment, go through the Gospels. Get a Strong's Concordance or one of those little Bible programs and follow the word faith through the Gospels. Follow the word faithless through the Gospels. And you will learn so many things as you just compare Scripture with Scripture, as you see the stories that are there, and we have the witnesses that, that are here. And then as Jesus was walking to the city of Nain, and I love the picture here, there was great joy and rejoicing in the crowd of Jesus and great sorrow and wailing in the funeral procession that comes out of Nain. And Jesus does something totally out of character out of etiquette, out of everything, he stops the funeral. And uh, the Bible says that he, verse 14, he touched the buyer, and they that bear him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. Now, we're going to go through a whole series here of Jesus being questioned. And uh, we'll note the patience of Jesus. The carefulness here, but in verse 19 uh, of the book of Luke, uh, as we're already here, it says, And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them unto Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Now here was John the Baptist. He had been in prison this, this entire process. He had been in prison now. Uh, several months at the least, he was just sitting there, literally waiting. It wouldn't be too long from this point that uh, the king's birthday would be kept. And we'll get to that story as it comes. And John would enter eternity. But even here, we have a great a man. Jesus said there's none born among heaven, uh, more, born among women that are greater in the kingdom of heaven than John. And yet he questioned who Jesus was. Even though he had seen the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, he had heard God's voice speak from heaven. You see, sometimes Jesus does not do things the way we want him to do things. If you were John, he said, I'm the forerunner. I'm here. I'm announcing the wedding. What John didn't understand was he was announcing the funeral. 
Jesus would die on the cross. Jesus would be that sacrifice. And things did not work out quite the way John had thought they would. He, he, I imagine, envisioned himself somehow traveling with Jesus and working with Jesus. And here he was sitting in a prison cell. Jesus showed the miracles that were done and told them to go back and tell John, don't be offended. We get back to Matthew chapter 11, and Jesus goes through a very harsh condemnation of the cities that he was in. And he talks about Chorazan, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. He likens Capernaum to Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, some people have thought to ask the question, well, if, if God did all these works in Capernaum and they didn't believe, why didn't he do these works in Sodom and Gomorrah? Because they still wouldn't have believed. God knows who will do what, but Jesus is now openly condemning these people and not only the people in the cities, but the entire cities. Does that mean every person in the city didn't believe? No. But it simply meant that the vast majority societies that were in these cities had decided that Jesus would not be their Messiah. We go back to Luke chapter 7, the end of that chapter. Jesus is in the house of the Pharisee. And here we have the first time he was anointed uh, with the perfume. If you remember, the woman who was a great sinner. And she washed his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, put the ointment on his feet. And what was the Pharisee's reaction? How many of you remember the story? If he knew what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't allow her to do this. Well, it was an act of worship. But Jesus did not give her the same praise that he gave Mary, the sister of Martha. Now, did he? He said she came, uh, Mary came to uh, anoint his body for the bearing. These were two separate incidents happening almost two years apart. And so and many people have taken Mary and tried to make her the sinner of Mark chapter 7, and that's not the way it worked. Jesus simply said, here is a picture as he was sitting in the Pharisee's house, he was being questioned by the Pharisee. He says, you believe you have no sins for me to forgive. You don't love very much. She knows she had a lot of sins that needed forgiving. And she loves a lot. And you know, that's, that's where we are, are we not? We're, we're the 10,000 talent people. We're, we're the ones that owe the unpayable debt. And we need to remember these things. But we go back to, if you're in Matthew chapter 12 here, let's uh, skip down to verse 46. Well, let's get verse 38. The Pharisees again come and they 
Uh, and certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, We would see a sign from thee. Master, we would see a sign. But he answered and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And then he goes on to give the parable of the unclean spirit that leaves a person and then it comes back and brings seven more with it. Now, this is the pattern of sin. This is why you you need to be very careful. If you have something that is a habit, is a sin, that something that troubles you, it seems like we take two steps back and uh, two steps forward and three steps back, or as, as we say here, you need to understand something. When we re-give ground to the devil, it's twice as hard to move forward. And so, Jesus is teaching that right here. And then, while he was teaching, verse 46, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. And if we read, took, uh, took time, I believe it's uh, Mark, says that he, it, they claimed that Jesus was beside himself, that Jesus had lost his mind, that he, he was not functioning and they were coming to question him and bring him back. You see, all of these things happened in succession if we put the Bible in, in the order that, uh, that these things happened in. But look what Jesus did. And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father, the same which is in heaven, the same is my brother, sister, and mother. Now, there's a great promise. Even as Mary and Jesus' brothers, of course, they did not believe in him until after the resurrection his brother James would become the pastor of the church. His brother Jude would write the book of Jude before, uh, just before the book of Revelation. And then Jesus takes Matthew 13, and, and we're not going to uh, take time tonight to go through all of Matthew 13, but it is a collection of parables that Jesus taught as he went through Galilee. And Jesus made several circuits in just a little while here, uh, we will not cover this tonight, but Jesus is going to give authority to the twelve. He's going to send them out two by two throughout Galilee. Uh, there's going to be a grand total of probably uh, at least five, maybe six uh, journeys or circuits throughout all of Galilee as Jesus would travel from city to city to city. The multitudes would follow him in between, this is where he would feed the 5,000 and later the 4,000. 
But Jesus taught continually. He healed continually. And so, we now are going to jump back to Mark chapter 4, if you would. And though it seems like we're moving around, this is the order that uh, uh, the one harmony that I am using gives. And so, uh, we're just going to go to Mark chapter 4. Uh, down toward the end of the chapter here. And uh, in verse 34, here is our connection to the parables in Matthew chapter 13. But without a parable, spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. And the same day, when even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude... They took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now here we have Jesus in the boat. And I love this story. I love to preach on this story. I'm not going to do it tonight. Uh, But... Jesus said, let's go to the other, uh, the other side. And the disciples, it says, took him as he was. Who was in charge now? Well, the disciples were. They had crossed the Sea of Galilee how many times in their lives? Uh, they had spent their whole life fishing on that sea. They knew everything there was to know. If anybody could get across the Sea of Galilee, you would hire Peter to get it done. But could they do it? Oh, you're going to find out that when you give your life to Jesus, the things you think you can do, you can no longer do unless Jesus gives you the ability to get it done. This is the surrender process. This is why this story is in here, to illustrate this thing, to help us understand that only Jesus can get the job done. He no longer wants your ability or your greatness. He does not need your wisdom or your help. What He needs is for you to depend on Him. Could we say amen to that? I think we'll stop right there. It's a great place to end our narrative as we're going through And you can read the different passages here. It's amazing. Jesus was questioned by the disciples of John. He comes into the city and denounces them for the fact that they won't believe. He dines with the Pharisee and he's anointed by the woman who is known as a sinner. But the thing was, she didn't leave the house a sinner. Amen? Jesus told her to go and sin no more. Her sins were forgiven. 
This is the God we worship. The Pharisees demand a sign. Even Christ's mother and brethren are there questioning who Jesus is. And what does Jesus do? He continues traveling and teaching. And don't you just think that Jesus almost had a smile on his face as the disciples took him as he was and put him in the ship and started over to the other side? I've had many people say, it just seems like Jesus was asleep when I prayed. Well, could I challenge you, if you're trying to do what Jesus said on your own, he's not going to be helping you until you're willing to surrender to him. Amen? And so, let's, let's look to our Lord and our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness your love to us. We thank you for the fact that you do not need our abilities, nor do you require uh, our uh, effort, regardless of how good and how great that effort might be. Lord, we just ask that you would give us grace to trust and depend upon you and your power to get everything done. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll take just a moment as we normally do. If anyone wants to pray there at their seat or come forward, Then we'll get into our prayer time tonight.